Good morning. So good to see everybody today. If you uh, have your Bibles with you, won't you take them and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. I know there's nothing in the bulletin that says anything about today's message. I just wasn't able to get all that in this week, but uh, for those of you who are into that or interested in the title of it is Lord and Father. If you'd like to take notes and keep up with what you're writing about, we're going to be in First Thessalonians because uh, recently I was reading through this book and uh, just reminded of just how rich it really is. I mean, there is so much good stuff just in these five short chapters here. And as I would read through it, certain things would just jump out and I'd think, man, that'll preach right there. It's been a while since we've been through a whole book of the Bible, so we're, we're going to start this morning here with Thessalonians and just kind of see where the Holy Spirit leads us. Today's message is going to be based just on the first verse of the first chapter, and so our reading this morning is going to be pretty short. Let's stand together and, and look at this. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, it just says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that, God, your word is so powerful. We don't need a lot of it to be changed, to be affected by the power of it, God. You're just a few words and you can do amazing things. It was just four words that you said, let there be light and there was light. Just two words, be still. And creation obeyed your command. Two words come forth and a dead man came to life. And so, Lord, I pray the power of your word would have that same effect on us this morning. God, help me to make you look good. As somebody who is worth following, worth giving our life for. And Jesus, just be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. So the city of Thessalonica was a very important one in that part of the world back then. It was a port city on the coast of the Roman province of Macedonia, which was part of what is now the country of Greece. Not only was it a coastal port, but it was also located at the intersection of, of two of Rome's most important trade roads. And so essentially Thessalonica back then is what Houston is today, a major port city that's got highways just crisscrossing through it. And uh, so because of its location, it made it uh, very strategic, not only for business and commerce, but also very strategic for the advancement of the gospel, which is why Paul made it a point of destination of his second missionary journey. His time there is recorded in Acts chapter 17, where it says that he went into the main synagogue of the city and spent three weeks there uh, teaching how all of the Old Testament scriptures are about Jesus. And many people believed in the things that he was saying, and they were saved. And although there were a handful of Jews who believed, the majority of them were Gentile Greeks. Most of the Jews 
pretty much just blew a gasket over the things that Paul was preaching. And so they formed a mob to try to, to get them all thrown out. They went before the city officials accusing Paul and those with him of a sedition against Caesar by saying that Jesus was a king. But once Paul had established the church there, he eventually left and went to other cities to preach the gospel and establish other churches. After a while, he starts thinking about those that he left behind in Thessalonica, and he's concerned about how they're doing, especially knowing what kind of opposition that they face there. And so he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on the church there. And Timothy comes back with a great report telling of how strong their faith is and that it is even growing. Rejoicing over such great news, Paul sits down and writes this letter. Unlike some of the letters that he wrote to other churches, Paul doesn't write this one in order to bring correction to some kind of error that these new Christians had had gotten in, like he did with the church in Corinth who believed in what was essentially the prosperity gospel, or the church in Galatia who uh, started mixing some of the old covenant law in with the grace of the gospel. But the church in Thessalonica, they weren't doing any of that, despite there being such a mix of so many different religions in the city and such opposition to the gospel. Uh, Paul's tone at times throughout this letter even seems to be somewhat surprised that they are doing so good. And what struck me in all of that was this. There are moments in our lives where we sometimes kind of ramp up our uh, spiritual activity, I guess we can call it. We make more of a concerted effort to go to church we, we pray more, we get in the Word more, uh, we just get more serious about our relationship with God. And I would say that most of the time that we do that is because we're doing it in response or as a reaction to some sort of crisis that we are facing in life. Either uh, a trouble in the marriage, trouble with rebellious kids, losing a job, getting arrested, uh, something. Our getting serious about God, more often than not, comes as a response to a crisis. Uh, I think it would be pretty safe to say that there is at least one person, maybe more, who are here at church today because of that very reason. Maybe you haven't gone to church very much in the past, but something has, has happened now in your life, and now you are here because you are looking for answers to some sort of crisis that is going on. And listen, I'm not saying that is wrong, not at all. As a matter of fact, I commend you for that because when a crisis does come, God is the one that we should be turning to rather than turning to the things of the world that will just end up being destructive. And so if you are here because of some crisis, then, then good. I'm glad you are. But what usually happens is that as soon as that crisis is over and our lives start running smoothly again, well, we're right back into that spiritual complacency. We're not going to church near as often. We're not praying as much, not getting into the word. It's like we've got the attitude, thanks God, but I've, I, I can take it from here. But what Paul's letter here to the Thessalonians shows us is that there really is no time at all 
for spiritual complacency. Rather, when things are going good, that's really when we should buckle down and pursue the things of God. As we'll see throughout this letter, Paul would often commend them for doing so good. And then right after that, he would say, but I encourage you to excel still more. In other words, don't get complacent about the fact that you are doing so good right now. You should actually take advantage of the fact that you are doing good and excel even more in the things of God. Don't wait for a crisis to come along. 1 Thessalonians is a good example of a principle that we can see that Paul believed in, which was simply the repetition of truth. There are a couple of times where Paul says, you don't need me to tell you this but then tells them anyway. He knows that just because they may have heard it before doesn't mean they don't need to hear it again. That's why I always say that we should be preaching the gospel to ourselves and to each other every day. Some of you may say, well, why in the world is that? I know the gospel. I'm saved. (laughs) Listen, those who are saved need to hear the gospel just as much as those who are lost. Just as much. We are bombarded every day by so many lies and false messages that just come at us on a constant basis. And so we need a constant reminder of truth. In his letter to the Romans, Paul is writing to Christians who, um, most of whom had got saved on the day of Pentecost before returning back to Rome. And so these are people who've heard the gospel, they believed it, and were saved by it. Yet, in verse 15 of chapter 1, Paul says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. And he knows that we cannot hear the gospel enough. And so, just like the gospel isn't just necessary for those who are lost, pursuing the things of God and getting serious about living our lives for Him, our relationship with Him, isn't something that we should do only when we encounter a crisis. We should be doing it all the time. And I'd say especially when we are doing good because that's when our mind tends to be more clear. Is when we're not in the middle of a crisis. Okay, so everything that I just said is... Not the main point of the message today. You just got that as a free bonus. No charge at all. (laughs) The main point of what I want to talk about is, like I said, what Paul says here in verse 1. He addresses this letter to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting about that? is that even though God the Father and Jesus are one, Paul distinguishes two different places that we are in in relation to him. He says we are in God the Father and we are in the Lord Jesus. Why does he do that? I believe it's because it speaks to how we should perceive God and it addresses two fundamental needs that every one of us have. Well, let's talk about the perception part of it first. As for who God is, we should have a balanced view of that, balanced between these two aspects of him, Father and Lord. 
And so let's look what each of these means for us. First and foremost, I believe that it is absolutely vital for us to be able to see God as the good father that he is. Unfortunately, for many people, that's a hard thing to do, at least with any accuracy at all. And the reason why I say that is because the way that we relate to and view God more often than not has a lot to do with the way that we related to and viewed our own biological fathers. If you had a father who was always critical, whom you never felt like anything that you did was ever good enough for, and more than likely that's kind of how you view God as well. You may have had a father who was emotionally distant and not really present in the home, even though he was there physically. The only time he really engaged and, and did something with anyone in the family was when they had done something wrong and he was getting on to them. And so maybe your perception of God is that he is this distant being who is just watching to see when you mess up. Those who have had an abusive father have the hardest time relating to God as father. I mean, that word itself, father, conjures up nothing but negative connotations. I knew someone who had such a hard time with his earthly father that he didn't even want to try to think of God as father. He said he would much rather think of God as brother or friend or even thinking of him as mother was easier for him than to, to think of him as God. And I can understand the mindset behind that, but God desperately wants us to know him as father. And just because you may have had a bad experience with your earthly father does not mean that you can't know God as the good father that he is. You can, and he wants to show you that. The truth is, when you are able to finally understand what it means for God be, to be a good father to you, that's when you finally find the healing to those wounds on your heart that were placed there because of your earthly father. Men, all of us who are fathers in here, the fact that people tend to relate to God the way they related to their earthly fathers should be a huge wake-up call for us. It should make us stop and think, what would my kids think about God based on the father that they see me as? Will they see God primarily as a strict disciplinarian or a graceful protector? Will they see him as someone who isn't there very much and can't really be relied on? Or someone who is actively engaged and interested in everything that they do? Someone who criticizes every little thing they do? Or who blesses and encourages them even when they fail? If we want to make it easier for our kids to see God as a good, good father, 
then what we must do, <laughs> and the good news is, is not try as hard as you can, can to just be better. What we must do is to find out everything that we can about what it means for God to be our Father. Because the way that we perceive Him as a Father to us is really what we are going to model to our kids. God being a good father to us should just be the outflow of how we are parenting our children. If you can't see God as the good father that he is to you, you just won't be able to model that to your kids. I'm not saying you're going to automatically be a bad father. I'm just saying that what we model to our kids is usually the way that we relate to God as a father. I truly believe that Jesus, when he was here on earth, was able to do the things that he did, live the life that he lived for one simple reason. And it wasn't because he was God. Yes, he was, but as a man, as a human being, he completely emptied himself of any thing that would give him some supernatural advantage that you and I don't have as humans. The reason why Jesus was able to do the things that he did and say the things that he said was simply because he understood what it meant to be a son of the Father. He knew God as the Father that he really is. That was it. I mean, everything that Jesus did was born from that relationship. He even said, I do nothing of my own initiative. I do and say what I hear and see the Father doing. Everything was out of that father and son relationship that they had with one another. Having a full understanding of Father meant that he knew that he could trust him. He knew that he never had to worry about any of his needs being met because the Father was going to make sure to meet every one of them. He knew that it meant that he never had to fear anything because he was in the care of a loving Father who would protect him and not let anything happen to him that would prevent his purposes from being fulfilled in him. He knew it meant that he never had to compete with anyone or compromise just to make people like him more. He never stressed himself out the way so many of us do, just trying desperately to get people to accept us or let us into their group. Jesus didn't do that because he knew what it meant to have the love and acceptance of the Father and that nothing in this world could even come close to competing with that. God created every one of us with a strong, strong desire for a father connection. And I believe that it's a longing that's really stronger than any other one that we have. Because he put it in there in order to draw us to him. Because he's the one we were created to to satisfy that longing in. I mean, you can see how strong that is just by the huge impact that fathers have on their families here, whether good or bad. 
Being born under the curse of sin, separated from the Father, means that every one of us come into this world as orphans. But our faith in Jesus is what immediately and instantaneously changes us from orphan to favored sons and daughters of the Father. Making that connection available that we have always longed for. And you know, that's why the role of fathers in our world today is under such tremendous attack. It's because Satan knows that if he can destroy and pervert the role of fathers, that he can more easily distort the way that God is seen as father. And that's all he's trying to do is to keep us from knowing God for who he truly is. But that longing that we were created with is so strong. I'm telling you now, even if you had the best father in the world, that longing is never fully satisfied until you find it in God. And so, dads, we have a huge weight of responsibility on our shoulders. But listen to this. Our primary responsibility is not to meet that father longing that God put in our kids. Our primary responsibility is is to point them to the only one who can. Point them to the only one who can. And part of that does mean, though, showing them what kind of a father he is and how we parent them. I read a story one time of a a father and son who lived in Mexico who had a very strained relationship, and things came to a head one time when they got in this huge fight which caused their relationship to be completely severed, and they didn't talk to each other for years. The son eventually ended up in prison, which is actually fairly common for young men without fathers. At least 90% of our prison population right now either didn't have a father growing up or had one that wasn't any good. The son, whose name was Juan, he served his time and eventually was let out. His dad, while his son was in prison, came to faith in Christ. He became a Christian, and he knew that the forgiveness that he had received from the father, he now needed to extend to his own son. He wanted to restore that relationship that had been broken for so long. The problem was, after no communication for all these years, he had no idea where he was. And so his only recourse was to put an ad in the paper and just hope that his son would read it. The ad simply said, Juan, meet me at the town square this Saturday at 10 o'clock in the morning. All is forgiven. Love, Dad. Saturday morning, he drives to the town square just praying that his son would have read that and that he would be there waiting on him. But as he approached, to his utter shock, he arrived to find 100 men named Juan. Just hoping that that was their father who put that ad in the paper. It just shows you how strong that that longing for that father connection really is. If you are saved through faith in what Jesus has done for you, then that 
connection with the Father is available to you. And if you never had that connection with your earthly father, I'm telling you right now, you can have it even stronger than you would have ever been able to with him. You can have it with God. Jesus died on the cross so that you could experience and have what your earthly father could never give you. He wants to know, wants you to know him as a father who can be trusted, a father who makes sure that all of your needs are met, a father whose love and acceptance is greater than the love of acceptance of anyone else in this world, a father who speaks words of life and blessing over you, not criticism, who corrects you in love, not scolds you in condemnation. He protects you and guides you leads you, teaches you, fights for you, and loves you with an unconditional love greater than anything else you can imagine. Being in Christ not only means that we have a Father, it also means that we have a Lord, which is the other thing that Paul mentions there in verse 1. Recognizing Jesus as Lord means recognizing that you are under his authority. Realizing that you follow his commands, not your own. That you are under his direction, not your own. To know God as Father means that we are sons and daughters. But to know him as Lord means that we are his servants. And both of these address two fundamental needs that we all have, the need for rescue and help and the need for meaning and purpose. The Father rescues and helps us. Having a Lord gives us that meaning and purpose in life. A couple weeks ago, I talked about how being called to salvation means that we are called to a war. Knowing Jesus as Lord just reinforces that truth and helps us In that battle, I mean, just think about how wars are fought in the natural. What if all the soldiers just decided one day in the middle of the war that they weren't going to listen to their commanders anymore? They were just going to do what they thought was best. There'd be complete chaos, and the enemy would easily win. That's why communication is so crucial in a battle. Not just communication itself, but those who are under the authority, they have to be following whatever the communication is saying. At the beginning of the Gulf War, just before we sent all our ground troops into Iraq, we first attacked them from the air. And you know what the very first targets were? We sent a barrage of smart-guided missiles from planes in the sky and ships offshore to every communication system that even existed there in Iraq. I mean, there several days before we sent ground troops in, you did not want to find yourself close to any kind of antenna at all. You would hear a loud boom pretty shortly. Because we knew that if we could destroy the communications that was being sent from the generals and commanders to those in the field, then they'd be in complete disarray. And that's exactly what happened. 
You have to have a leader in battle and follow his commands in order to be successful. That's what it means to know Jesus as Lord. The problem in the church today is that for a lot of people, Jesus is Lord only in name only. Many people say that he is Lord, but their life shows that they are following their own commands in their own direction. Saying he is Lord is not the same thing as submitting to him as Lord. I'm going to tell you right now, pure and unbridled joy is found in total submission. Joy is found in submission. I know that our world today wants to make that a bad word. God came up with the word. And anything that comes from him is good. Submission is a good thing and it leads us to joy. Submitting to his lordship means that you understand that your life is not your own. It has been bought with a very high price. The blood of Jesus. It's recognizing the fact that your selfish wants, needs, and desires must be killed in order for you to experience that joy and the abundant life that Jesus died to give you. It's realizing that you have been given a mandate to take possession of all that Jesus' death paid for and to bring the kingdom of God that you represent with you into every kingdom of this world that your foot steps into and take possession of those things for the glory of God. You have a purpose and a goal in life if you are in Jesus that is much greater, so much greater than I think most of us actually realize. And that purpose is fulfilled only by completely submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ. Like I said earlier, it is very important for us to have a balanced view of God with both of these. If we just know him as Father but not as Lord, we'll feel his love and that we are cared for, but then we'll live with no real purpose in life. If we just know him as Lord but not as Father, we'll tend to to be just a bunch of self-righteous legalists, not knowing how to extend grace to others because we're not knowing how to receive grace from the Father. God wants us to know him as both Father and Lord, and he paid a very high price so that we could. If you need help in seeing him in either one of these, don't just wait for the next crisis to come along. Pursue knowing him now. Get serious about getting to know God because I'm telling you, he wants to be known. And when you know him for who he is, it will completely change your life. Let's pray. Lord, it is an incredible thing just in the fact that you desire to be known because we don't deserve to know you. We don't deserve to be brought in to that incredible relationship that you made possible through the death of your son. Lord, I
Lord, how silly of us to pursue other things in this world that keep us from knowing you. When we have been given such a privilege to know you, and yet we follow after the most trivial and unimportant things. God, we are fools, but you love us anyway, and you draw us closer to you, wanting us to know you, knowing that when we do know you, Lord, all the things of this world won't seem near as appealing as they are now. So God, I'm asking that by your spirit, you make yourself known to those who don't know you very well in here this morning. Lord, to those who only see you really the way that they saw their own fathers, I pray that you would dispel that myth, that error, and let them find in you what they never found in their earthly father. Lord, I pray for those who are just living according to their own ways, their own desires, their own direction. Lord, that you would bring conviction into their hearts right now and let them know that that's not the best that you have planned for them. That you've got something better if they would just submit to you. Lord, let us find the joy that is there for us in a life that is completely surrendered to you. God, I've done all that I can up here. I'm asking you to do what only you can, and it's to change us miraculously from the inside, Lord. Heal those wounds that have been laid on our hearts. Break the chains that bind us from the freedom that we have in you. Take the scales off of our eyes that keep us from seeing you for who you are and unplug our ears to be able to hear your direction. We may be people who more glorify you. I thank you for providing that for us and desiring us to know you. Lord, have your way now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.